0: The reading this morning is from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and it's on page 1185 of the Bibles in the chairs. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1, page 1185. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: we thank you for reading for us. Please do keep sight of Colossians 3, you may want sight of an outline, and let me lead us in prayer again. Heavenly Father, we do pray that in your grace and mercy you might fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would indeed walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, fully pleasing to him. Thank you for who you have made us and who you are making us in him. Help us learn this morning what it looks like to live in him and more like him. In his name and for your glory we ask it. Amen. Is ambition a good thing? Is ambition a good thing? What do we reckon? I guess in part it depends what we're aiming for, doesn't it? For many, ambition is purely a selfish drive to get more and more for me. For others, there is a genuine desire to help those around them and make the world a better place. Some say economic ambition is always a good thing. When a company does well, it brings wealth and prosperity to a country. On Remembrance Sunday of all days, surely it is a good thing to have an ambition for world peace. But what about for the Christian? Would we say we have ambition? And if so, for what? What are we focusing on? What are we seeking for? Is it just to get through another day? Have we got caught up with career ambition? Is it actually ambition for our children? Are we aiming to grow in the Christian life and our walk with Jesus? How would we answer? Well, this passage before us this morning shows us where our true focus should be, what our ambition in life is, if we're a Christian, we are shown why it is the case for every believer and what it looks like in practice. So just look with me again to verse 1, page 1185. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then, really since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It links back to verse 20 last week, doesn't it? We have died with Christ, We mustn't try and add man-made rules to following Jesus. But if we're not to add human rules, then how should we live? What's it going to look like? And we get the answer today. We live the higher life. And that's our first point this morning, verses 1 to 4. It's what really drives this whole section. So if you're beginning to get drowsy, please wake up for this. We've died with Christ, but we've also been raised with Christ. And so we live the higher life. Uh, 1858 was the year this church, St John's, started. It was also the year a book came out called *The Higher Christian Life*, claiming that Christians could be done with sin, completely and utterly. Is that the higher life? Uh, more up to date? Just uh, just a few years ago, there was a gathering at the O2 Arena called the Higher Life Conference with Pastor Chris. It was all about how Christians won't get ill but will be wealthy and healthy. Is that the higher life? Is that how we see God's resurrection power at work in his people? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 1 again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Five times in four verses we're told it's all about Christ. And twice, Paul says, it's focusing on things above. Can we see Paul goes, reason, command, command, reason, in verses one to four? Like a sandwich, the Colossians are told what to do in the middle and why to do it on the outside. Seek the things that are above. Set our minds on things above where Christ is. Why? Because it's where we are now, and because it's what will be revealed then. Now Christ is what we're aiming for, and what we're thinking of. It reminds me of those scenes in a movie where a fighter pilot locks onto another one, Uh, They they fire the missile and it is focused in, laser guided in, all on one destination. And that's the idea here, to to seek out, to keep seeking, to to hunt down. Jesus Christ is the focus of our life if we're a Christian. Or he should be. Or maybe like going on a walk. That's something we're a bit more familiar with, I guess. He is the, the tree on the horizon who sets our course And he is the glasses through which, through whom we see everything. We seek Jesus. We set our hearts on things above. He fills our thoughts. We set our minds on things above. But actually, that that walk analogy falls down because we're setting our minds on where we already are. Jesus Christ is our ambition, but it's not us attaining something we don't already have. And we are living out what is already the case. I just look down. Do you see, Paul doesn't say we will be raised with Christ, but we have been raised with Christ. He is our life, present tense. But that life is now hidden. Currently, it's hidden, it's only spiritual. Walking down the street, we can't tell from the outside who's a Christian, who's got life in Jesus, and who doesn't. But one day it will be revealed. It'll be physical as well. And that motivates us to keep focused on Jesus. And now the Bible isn't written to perfect people. I I hope we know that none of us do this perfectly. But this is calling us to live out who we already are. If we're a Christian, if we're saved. This isn't some standard to achieve. It's a status to receive. (laughs) We live out our new identity in Christ I wonder have we ever thought why do I get out of bed in the morning maybe we think that most days (laughs) what I mean is why do we do what we do what motivates us what what shapes our thinking what keeps us going day by day what fills our horizon and many of us have families to look after lots of us have to go to work we've got to pay the bills we have friends to meet up with and so on And Paul says for the believer, the power driving us to do all these things, to motivate us day by day, to shape our thinking, the reason to get out of bed in the morning is ultimately Jesus. He shapes our identity. He transforms our thinking and desires. But we need to remind ourselves deliberately, day by day, of true reality. It's why the discipline of daily Bible reading and prayer is so helpful. We're reminded of who we are and where we are. We're with Christ in God. We couldn't be safer. And we couldn't be more secure. You see, again, we're, we're reminded of chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Do you remember those verses? How do we keep walking in Christ? Well, we fix our eyes on him. And we look back to his death. We look up and remember we're now raised with him. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. That is our present reality. And we look forward. We know one day all will be revealed. Christ will appear. And we will appear with him in glory. If that is new to you, please do come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to chat to you more about this salvation. About how you can know Jesus personally personally. For yourself? And if you are a follower of Jesus, what what difference does this higher life make to the way we live now? Well, can you spot the the therefore in verse 5? Living the higher life, having our, our minds fixed on Jesus, the things that are above, looking to Him means putting to death the earthly. That's our second point, verses 5 to 11. Putting to death uh, our earthly nature, the earthly. Here is how heavenly-minded people live. Maybe we've heard that phrase. or oh, they're so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly use. But just look at what the heavenly-minded person is like. And remember, this is what it looks like to live the opposite of, of man-made rules. I think... Paul deliberately tops and tails his two lists with his headings. So, verse 5, do you see section of morality comes at the beginning and, and covers the rest of the verse? And then in verse 8, at the end, it's all about what comes from our mouths. And you'll see on the handout there the two things we're going to look at sexual behavior and speaking behavior. So, verse 5 again. Now, put to death, therefore, because of all of verses 1 to 4, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Isn't it interesting how scripture loses none of its relevance over the centuries? Uh, Paul lists sexual ethics, sexual behaviour first. How current, how contemporary, but also how countercultural still. The Western secular worldview prides itself on thinking it is making progress. It's it's moving forward, it is liberating people from the shackles they were bound by. Uh, to fail to accept its sexual morality, well it's to be backwards, repressive. Oppressive and unlightened, unenlightened. Actually, though, it is just reverting back to the Greco-Roman view of sex. The Bible's teaching is as countercultural now as it was 2,000 years ago. But the Bible isn't prudish, and neither is it anti-sex. Verse five doesn't say we put to death anything to do with sex. It's sex in the wrong place that's the problem. And that's what the word porneia or sexual immorality means. Sex in the wrong place. Every kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. It's an issue we all face. And whether we're young or old, single or married, male or female, all of us need to put sexual immorality to death. It's vivid language, isn't it? We can't put something to death and toy with it. We kill it. I find a super venomous spider in my house. I don't make it my pet. I kill it. I should probably take it to the vet, but I'd probably kill it. Put it to death. And it's not a one-off thing. We need to keep putting these things to death for the rest of our lives. Paul doesn't suggest we do it once and then just put our feet up and have a breather. No, we keep putting sexual sin to death. Did we notice in verse six, these things deserve God's wrath? It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? Now we've been taught to think, if it doesn't hurt anyone, surely it can't be wrong, can it? What what two consenting adults get up to behind closed doors, well, it's not the concern of anyone else, especially if they're in a loving, stable relationship. What someone gets up to on their what someone gets up to on their own when no one else is looking, well, surely that is fine, isn't it? Or pornography, so widespread so prevalent our culture tells us there are no victims is it is it really that bad but God's word in black and white states all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is deserving of God's wrath if that makes you upset or angry please do come and have a word to me afterwards we'd hate for you to leave upset and angry but also do consider who knows best how to run our lives. Do we, or does God? Just a quick glance around the world suggests we don't always know what's best for us. But the Bible is clear, God does. He's far more loving than we can possibly imagine. And before we get on our high horse, or before we're being accused of being judgmental, just look with me again at verse seven. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. Christians are not better than others. Christians are merely saved sinners, not more moral, better people. John Bradford, the English reformer, saw a criminal on his way to execution and said, there but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. verse five, we still have an earthly nature, but it's not our true, our core identity anymore. It's the life we once lived but now we've died we've been raised with Christ all believers battle sin but we don't look sideways and compare ourselves with one another we look up to Jesus raised and seated at the right hand of God that is our reality I used to be a school governor and as a school governor I used to review sex education policies at a local school And it makes me think, what what policies do we have for our own lives? Not man-made rules to try and tinker with the externals, but grace-fueled discipline to help me put sin to death. What measures are we pursuing to put these things to death in our lives? I've been thinking through, what, what practical steps do I need to do to kill these things? We must be ruthless. We don't give an inch to sin I may be setting up accountability on our internet browsing. It may be meeting to read God's word and pray with another trusted Christian. Perhaps giving up a smartphone for a dumb phone. Perhaps not reading certain romance novels anymore. I don't know what it will be, but we must be proactively putting these sins to death in the area of sexual behaviour. And then Paul turns to our speaking behaviour. Again, I wonder if that is what we would choose as a key marker in the Christian life. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. But Christ is all and in all. We can be so quick, can't we, to justify sins of the tongue. And with verse 10, it is utterly inconsistent with who we are if we're a Christian. A swearing, trying to be one of the lads crude jokes, just wanting to fit in. We must rid ourselves of these things and also anger and wrath. I remember hearing about a friend of mine once who was uh, driving to the church where he worked. Um, And uh, as he was driving, someone thought that he had cut them up. And so this chap jumps out the car and starts screaming and swearing at my friend. And lo and behold, this man in an absolute fit of rage was a regular at the same church how inappropriate set your mind on things above. Maybe we feel we're we're not in danger of such an outburst, though. But then again, some of us are parents. so easy, isn't it, to speak angrily to our children. I come into the kitchen, tomato ketchup all over the walls, children reenacting major historical battles, no homework done. And what happens... Anger, wrath, you must put them all away. Of course, firm loving discipline is a necessity. Raised voices may sometimes be appropriate. But when we lose our self-control, we need to repent and remember where we are. We're in Christ. We've been raised with him. Seek the things that are above, set our minds on them. And what about always telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do I bend the truth, just, just manipulate the facts just a little bit to make me look better? Do I speak about people behind their backs in ways I wouldn't dream of speaking to their face? It's almost certainly slander, isn't it? I remember writing out several Bible verses about not lying, to, to memorize them and help me to keep battling in this area. But we do it all, not as human rules, but because we're living out our present reality of the higher life in Christ. Did you notice Paul is at pains to keep reminding us why we do this, isn't he? Verse 9, halfway through, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We have put off the old man, the old sinful self, and put on the new Christ-like self. But we need to keep on doing it. And it brings us to verses 12 to 17. Uh, Setting our minds on things above means not just putting to death the earthly, but it means putting on the Christ-like. It is the uh, image of the changing room, isn't it? Putting off old clothes, putting on new ones. Not changing who we are, but showing who we are. This is the the filthy, homeless orphan adopted into a loving, wealthy family who then changes into clean clothes. It doesn't make them part of the family. It shows they're already in a new family. This is living out who we already are in Christ. Can we see how Paul underlines it, verse 12? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We're already chosen. We've already been set apart, made holy. We are loved. We've been given a new identity. We just need to live it out. So in verses 13 and 15, we are forgiven and so forgiving. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. I hope you realize no church is perfect. If we've joined St. John's recently, I wonder whether we expected to forgive when we joined. Paul assumes we'll have to bear with one another and forgive one another. We will let each other down. We will wrong each other but we mustn't respond with bitterness or vengeance, but by putting on Christ-likeness as the peace he won at the cross rules our hearts. We've been called to peace. We've been forgiven. So how can we not forgive? Now, we need to be clear. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't alert the authorities or pursue justice when laws are broken. This is absolutely no excuse for abuse or ignoring it. But it does mean, personally speaking, there can be nothing too big, too costly, too hard to forgive in the local church because we forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And just think about it. Shouldn't that make St. John's a wonderful place to be? No grudges, no vendettas, no recriminations, no personal feuds. We may not be there yet but it should be what we're aiming for our ambition forgiven and so forgiving and also loved and so loving verse 12 again put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassion kindness humility meekness and patience we are loved And so we are to love. Now, verse 12, it's a pretty good description of what it looks like to be loving, isn't it? They're they're all characteristics we see perfectly lived out in Jesus. He is the only one who who perfectly loves. That's why Paul can say back in verse 10, we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Jesus Christ is the template or the image we're being made into He's also the one who is our identity. Verse 11, He is all and is in all. And so before I am a white British male, I am in Christ. Before I am a husband or a father, I am in Christ. He defines me before and above and beyond everything and anything else. And because in Christ I am loved, Paul can tie all these virtues together with the command to put on love in verse 14. Verse 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Loved and so loving. And we do it all with thanksgiving. One of the the key distinctives of having our hearts and minds set on things above is thankfulness. Or if you're into rhyming, an, an attitude of gratitude. Verse 15, near the end. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We have so much to be thankful for if we're a Christian. Counting our blessings is a great thing to do, quite literally, to list them and thank God for them. Thankfulness is a surefire sign of spiritual health in our lives. And when I'm lacking in thankfulness to God... It's probably because I'm forgetting the gospel. It's certainly because I've forgotten how amazing God's grace to me is. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive with Christ and forgave us all our sins. If you're visiting this morning or just finding out more about Christianity, please understand this. Christianity is not for good people, not for people who've got it sorted, but for people who know they need a savior. And actually that is all of us. And for those who've died and been raised with Christ, we set our minds on things above where Christ is seated, which is where we are. And that means we'll put off our old sinful self and put on the new self in Christ's image. I mentioned John Bradford earlier. He was born in 1510, and as a student, he became a Christian. But in 1553, Mary Tudor became queen and starts rounding up Protestant leaders. Just one month into her reign, Bradford ends up imprisoned in the Tower of London, for a while sharing a cell with Cranmer, Ridley and Latimer. Two years later, Bradford was burned at the stake. Just before the fire was lit, he turns to a young man being executed next to him and says, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. And during his lifetime, he wrote many prayers, and there's a brilliant one taken straight from these verses. And here's what he prays. O Christ, clothe me with your own self, that I may be so far from making provision for my flesh to fulfill the lusts of it, that I may quite put off all my earthly desires and crucify the kingdom of the flesh in me. Would you be to me a garment to warm me from catching the cold of this world? Grant, therefore, that as I surround my body with this coat, so you would clothe me wholly, but especially my soul, with your own self. Put upon me as the elect of God, mercy, meekness, love, and peace. It's a great prayer to pray, isn't it? And as we close, practically, how do we seek? How do we set our minds on things above? How can we make sure we keep fixing our eyes, focusing on Jesus day by day? We'll just look again at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We do this as the gospel word dwells in us or, or among us richly as we ponder the gospel and remind one another of the gospel, both teaching and admonishing as we come to the word of Christ in the Bible and feed on it day by day ourselves. And did you notice one surprising way we teach and admonish one another is as we sing. You see, we're not just singing to God, but also to one another. It's why we want to make sure our songs are rich with the gospel and rich with Bible content as they point us, point one another to Jesus. And all of this reminds us of chapter 1, verse 28. Do you remember Paul's ministry? Paul's ministry. Is to proclaim Christ. 1 verse 28. Him we proclaim. Warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And now we discover chapter 3. We all have this task. uh, To present one another mature in Christ. To teach and admonish one another in Christ. All we need is Christ. Because he is where all wisdom is found. We do all of this in Christ, and also verse 17, for Christ. Not to earn his favor, but in thankfulness. The Christian life is all about Jesus Christ. He is our ambition. We seek him, we set our minds on him, because our life is now hidden with him in God. We have died and been raised with him. When he appears, which he will, then we will also appear with him in glory. And so as we wait, we do everything in him, through him, and for him, abounding in thanksgiving. Let us pray together. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that if we are um, a Christian, if we are trusting in him, we have died. We have been raised with him and we are uh, in him. Our life is hidden with Christ in you. Please help us to live that out more and more by putting to death what is earthly and putting on a life that is more and more imitating Christ. We ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen.